you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first chapter of the book of John. We are going to read to the end of the chapter today. We started this at the middle of August, and it's still not the last message, but we will read to the end of the chapter today. This is John. Let's start in verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore I am come, baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and I bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, The next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, what seek ye? Then they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah, but thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest me that, uh, thou me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray and ask God's help. 
Holy Spirit of God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, that we would take what you have that's eternal and and valuable beyond price and make us rich with it, that we would see our Savior high and lifted up, exalted, and like he actually is, that we would have uh, in the Spirit the ability to to apprehend who you are, that we would uh, fear you appropriately, that we would serve you with, with love and gratitude, that we would love each other with humility and, and purity. I pray, Father, that you would uh, fall upon this assembly and cause us to see you as, uh, as King of Kings and our only Savior. We thank you that uh, these simple men uh, met you in person, and uh, I pray that we uh, here would meet you in person. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that in this first chapter of John, which is just monumental, John is proposing to do something so impossible that claims that Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, is the very God of very gods. And he comes and he tells us who this God is. And then we meet him as a man. And so we see that he interacts with people. We have an Old Testament prophet first, John the Baptist, the last of the prophets who foretold Jesus' coming and and prepared people for Jesus, is there. And Jesus is standing there. Now, he's once already said, behold, the Lamb of God. And his own disciples, people that are following him, people that are in the desert with him, listening to what he said and listening to his message and watching him baptize, and watching God's effect on people's hearts, even slow as they are, eventually realize, oh, you mean me. Go follow Jesus. And they do. John is preaching himself out of a job, which I think is what we are to do. That is the heart of ministry, that we would point people to Jesus. And we're going to see that instantly the people who are pointed to Jesus point other people to Jesus. Now, it's very interesting that in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels because they're looking, synoptic just means looking at the same things. In those gospels, you see, you see the, the 12 as the apostles. And the apostles simply mean people who are sent out. They're sent out with a message. They are going out and they're proclaiming something as witnesses. But in the Gospel of John, you don't see the word apostle even once. Instead, you have a completely different concept. The 12 are considered to be disciples, which means learners. And John himself is one of the disciples. He's writing from eyewitness accounts. And you'll see that even John himself is in this passage, kind of hidden and anonymous. But he's looking with with what he saw, and he's testifying to what he saw. He's choosing among the things that Jesus did uh, examples that proved to him that this was God Almighty, that he was looking at his friend, and he's proclaiming that to you that we might believe. Now, you remember that John Baptist also had that task. His job was to bear witness to the light. This is in verse 7. He He came as a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might be saved. So he had two purposes, that his first purpose was that he came as a witness to the light, 
So he, he told people of the light. He pointed to Jesus and said, that is the Son of God. That is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then also, he did it in such a way that would prompt belief in their hearts. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a cold, mean Christian strangle you and give you what he wanted to give you and then run like a, like a teenager who rang your doorbell and ran away. I, I have. I, and it's, there, there's no palate. I, I just have no desire for that. You live your life in front of people in such a way that they want to love the Lord Jesus. You witness with your love. You witness with your own changed life. You witness with your own feeble knees and your own weak hands drooping at your sides and your heart that trusts your Savior. And I promise there's power. The Holy Spirit is there in that glove to give an uppercut to anyone that God is working in their hearts. And that is, that is something that is astonishing. John Baptist pointed at Jesus, then looked at his own disciples, whom he knew was following him, living in the desert with him, and said, Behold. Now, interesting, if you were doing this as a play, you would do it different than the first time. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Then he looked at them the next day and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Like, I'm trying to get this through to you. You're not to follow me. You're to follow him. Ministry, real ministry, is, is involving your, yourself, being low and involving yourself in the real lives of other people to the point where you can point them to Jesus. And then Jesus takes, takes over. You're no longer their teacher. You're no longer, in fact, many of the people that you've ever witnessed to, that God absolute gave eyes to. And by the way, God did not tell you every time that's ever happened. You will be astonished that the simplest attempts, absolute simple attempts to be God's witness in this, in this world are powerful. Does that mean everyone you've ever spoke to will come to the Lord? No, absolutely not. And the, and the people that God has given me the ability to speak to that turned living right in front of my eyes, many I don't even know where they are. I have no idea. And I still pray for them. I still pray. There was a girl in West Huntington, and I was preaching on the street corner. Can you imagine that? What, a, what God does when you're first saved and suddenly you're living for him the way you're supposed to before you get all sophisticated? And I was preaching on the street corner, and I was telling people that, to come to the Lord and, and, and witnessing to them. And then later, maybe two months later, I got this kid, and I took him to McDonald's, and I, and I shared the gospel with him. And he was thrilled. And not only did he pray to receive the Lord, he was like, I, it's the only time in my life he was changed. Like, he was absolutely changed. He was thrilled. He was happy as he could be. And he said, I've got to go home and tell Mary. Now, Mary was the girlfriend who told me that she wanted to be a hooker when she grew up. That was what she told me. She was 14. Her mother had given permission for him, her to marry the 15-year-old, who was also 14. And he was given permission by his parents to marry her, 
when she was 14, think, telling him that she was 15, and both parents signed the paper because they thought the other child was going to live with the other people. That's the situation they were in. And I shared the gospel with this boy, and he went home to tell the girl, I've got to tell Mary. I've got to tell her right now. And he told her in front of me, and she was so embarrassed, and she said, I've already done it already. And he was like, what? She said, I already repented. He said, what? You repented when? I don't know, a month ago, maybe Brian was talking, and I just, in my heart, I was just talking to God. He did, I didn't let him know, though. And he said, why didn't you tell me? You were going to let me go to hell? That's what he said. And that is a very unusual situation, that God will let you see that far into a person's life. That's very unusual, because most of the time, God just lets it go, and you have no idea the effect you've had. None, 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 none. The person who... who who was last used before I became a Christian, the only thing he knew about me was that I rejected him and told, me, told him to get out of my face. That was the last words I told him. Get away from me, get out of my face. And within an hour, I was a believer. Now, that's truth. I just need you to know that though God hides it from you, there's power in your witness, but you witness in a way that would make someone love God. And then you trust God enough that Jesus is big enough to take that person and take them where he will. And I don't know what's happened to these poor people. I don't know what's happened to the rich people that have prayed with me. I know my next-door neighbor. I prayed with him 20 years ago, and he's my next-door neighbor. And he's living for the Lord and, and loves the Lord. So there's successes and victories. There's failures and defeats. And God will get us all the way home, and then he'll tell us what he did. Then that's when he'll tell us, and then we'll lay our crowns at his feet. That is, that is the joy of being a Christian, that we have no idea, and God doesn't tell us because we'd be conceded to the high heavens if we knew the effect that we would have. He just refuses. But John Baptist, knowing that he was a prophet of God and knowing that he loved God with all of his heart, pointed other people away from himself to Jesus, even if he had to knock them on the head in order to do it. So here he came. They, they left him. And, and John just, just fades out of the story. Now we see him back in John 3 when he tells somebody else, he said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. So everything about a Christian witness is humble that you know that I have no power, I'm just a person. I have no power at all. God is the one who breathes life into dead clay and makes it alive. All I'm doing is being faithful to what God did in my heart by telling other people in a way that's winsome and not strangling them and not browbeating them and not banging your black Bible at them. That doesn't help anything. What you do is you, you live in their presence and you live in a way to prompt them to love. So it is interesting that he fades, fades out. But we then see in verse 38, Jesus turns around and sees these two following them. Now, later it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, is one of these two disciples. And I would say absolutely most, most likely the other is John the, the Apostle, the one that's writing this book, 
because every other instance of himself, he does not give his own name. He never lists his name among the other disciples, though everybody knew he was a disciple. And in the other gospel writers, John is listed among, among the, the disciples. John is the writer, and he, just out of modesty, he doesn't let himself be the star of the show. And so he's talking from what he's watching. He's watching Jesus, and this is the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Now, that's as important as it can be. John has spent an entire chapter, and we've spent six months getting here, knowing that this is God Almighty walking among us, and the first words out of his mouth is, what are you looking for? Now, that is absolutely significant. He turns around to these two disciples who are following him, obviously following him, and he said, what are you looking for? And they have no idea. What is their answer? I blushed when I read this. What, what did they say? Uh, 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 where you live? I mean, that's as awkward. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been awkward. Social, are you socially awkward like I am? Socially awkward. You're just like, uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, where you live? And Jesus then responds. Okay, so the first question is, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Now I have to say, that's for me. What are you looking for? You following me? Now, do you understand that in that question, just implied in that question, is the understanding that you don't know what you're looking for, otherwise you wouldn't have said, what are you looking for? If it was obvious what you were looking for, he wouldn't have said it. He said it in a way that made it okay that you are really weak and that you're simply following him because someone told you to follow him. John Baptist looked and said, follow him. And so they followed him. And then Jesus turns around and said, what are you looking for? And they don't know how to answer him because they don't even know yet what they're looking for. They know, they know that there is an appeal, that the Holy Spirit has prompted them, and they know that, they're, that, that what they see they like, but they don't know. They're really, their faith is loaned to them by John the Baptist. Have you ever loaned your faith to anybody? Do you loan your faith to your children? Do you loan your faith to your grandchildren? For a while, they live in your faith, and then the miracle of miracles happen in the most joyous moment of your life when you look and they themselves are following Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing's like that. That's the most joyous moment in your life. To know that you are forcing something to happen, but it's something that Jesus did. Jesus is the magnet, and they're just a paperclip, just like you are. And it happens the same and the same and the same. To point someone to Jesus is never to be ashamed. You're never to be ashamed. They're never to be ashamed. It's, it will be their joy. It will be their lasting joy for eternity that you pointed them to Jesus. And then they went on their own. And he looked and he said, what do you want? What are you looking for? And they just said, I don't know. Where do you live in? Where do you live? Now, that's when my heart would stop. The space in between that question and Jesus' answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go to God and you say, I want to go to heaven, God. I know that heaven is good and hell is bad, and I know that your wrath says that I must be punished, and I want to be where you are. And when you blast this cosmos to kingdom come, I want to be where you are. 
What's he going to say? I'm sorry, son, you're filthy, and I'm not. There's a distance infinitely big, and you can't traverse it. Jesus traversed that. Jesus came to us and came and got us, and he will take us to God. He is our Savior. That is why our hearts are overflowing. There's like flowing love over the lip of the cup of our hearts when we look at our Savior. And we don't even understand who he is. We don't even know what we're seeking. We don't even know. He said, what are you looking for? And we don't even know. And we said, uh, can we come to your house? We invited ourselves over to Rick's house the other day and said, I hear you have a fireplace on your porch. I think you should probably build a fire because we're coming over. And uh, it was funny. We were in the car, and I was like, what did I just do? And she said, you just invited yourself over to somebody's house. And I was like, it was, it was fun. I love fireplaces. They invited themselves to Jesus' house, and then Jesus answered them. Look at the Bible and see what he said. What did he say? Come and see. Come and see. Anybody thirsty? If you're thirsty, come drink the waters of life freely. And the bride said, come, and the Savior said, come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. That's how the Bible ends. He invites us. God himself, the clean, looked at these two men, the dirty, and said, come and see, and invited them, invited them though they weren't sure, invited them though that they weren't resolute, they didn't, they didn't know enough, they, weren't, they had it all wrong, their theology was wrong, their understanding was wrong, their practices were wrong, their, their past was wrong, all of it was wrong. And Jesus said, come and see. You look to God and say, I want to be where you are. You will see Jesus' hand say, come on, come on. It's free, it's paid for. I came and I will bring you to God. That just makes me happy. Makes me happy. So these disciples who are learners, they learn from God. Then they become apostles. The apostles mean sent And the greatest apostle God's ever had is Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ as an apostle, the great apostle. And then he makes us, invites us, and then we come to him in our weakness and our frailty and our wobbliness and our inconstancy. And he takes us and makes us learners in his school. And then automatically, not officially, not formally, they're sent out. And they're sent out with a, I must say, I must say. And it's interesting that the woman drops her water jar. She wasn't even a Jew. She wasn't even in God's people. And she dropped, and she had five husbands and was living with a man now. And the, nobody in town even liked her. And she runs to the town to tell, I met a man who told me everything I've ever done Couldn't he be the Christ? And they all came. 
They all came. They all came out of town. And did you hear what we read this morning? They said at the end, Ah, you told us, but we don't believe because of you anymore. We believe because of what we heard. You take someone to Jesus, Jesus does the rest. He's God. He's big enough to tell someone who he is. He's big enough to convince somebody who he is. You don't have to sell him. He's not a car. He's, got, he, he's the one. The only power is God. He's the only power in the universe. And he's the one that can win a heart. He's the one that can win a soul. You're simply faithful to bring someone in your weakness. That's all it is. It's not in your, in your, in your smarts or in your tongue or in your strength or in your winsome personality. It has nothing to do with that. She just, she, the outcast, said, isn't he the Christ? They came and talked to him all day. And then they said, oh, we now know ourselves. It's not based on you anymore. It's on ourselves. They leave John the Baptist and they go to Jesus. That's, that's it. And, and Jesus re- is getting the kingdom. He's the one that's winning the world. He's the one that's the savior of the world. Now it's interesting. When you have, when you have the idea of come and see, come and see, it's all through the Old Testament. Last summer, we looked at Psalm 34. This was probably June. We did Psalm 34 together, and this starts, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Come and see. Like, you have an open invitation to see who God is, that God wants to see you, that wants to tell you who he is, that you might be overloaded with joy. And so John 39, or John 139, he says, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was the 10th hour. Okay, so the 10th hour starts at 6 a.m., so the 10th hour would be 4 o'clock. They stayed with him overnight. He, they talked into the late night. They had dinner together. They got a pizza, watched football, talked until the middle of the night. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I think that eventually the awkwardness would break down, and it's not like where you live Suddenly they were talking about real things because the very next day, the very next day, the first thing Andrew does is go and get his brother. Now, did you notice that it said that he was Andrew, was Simon Peter's brother? Andrew wasn't Andrew. You know Andrew. No, he was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter, who didn't know Jesus, Andrew who did, went and got Simon first, and Simon then came and met Jesus. Now, interesting how he met him. I don't know if, if you're, the, you're the person that's always in someone else's shadow, that someone is the, like, you know, I'm Emma and Aaron's dad kind of thing. You know, you're not, you're not who you are. You know, Melissa said my, my identity ended the day I had a baby. You know, she's not, she's somebody's mother. She's somebody's wife. Suddenly, like, wh- what about me? What about my own identity? It's, it's interesting that Andrew, there is nothing in the Bible that doesn't say Andrew was awesome. Nothing at all. And I bet you there's more Andrews in this world than there are Peters. Because there's something about that name. Because if you read through the Gospels, 
every single time, every single instance that you meet Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Without exception, every single time. Andrew, that he's mentioned, is bringing somebody to Jesus. Now, his life was changed. Dinner with Jesus changed his life. The sleepover was the greatest day of his life. And he went and he got Simon. So it's interesting. Andrew followed on his own, but Simon was brought. Do you notice that there's different ways of coming to the Lord? Andrew was like, you've got to meet the Messiah. The one that Moses talked about. So obviously Andrew knew his Bible. So he was saying, we're talking about, this is not just a great guy that you should meet. We're, this is God's king. This is the king of Israel. This is David's son. You've got to meet him. And Peter was interested. And Peter comes, now Peter becomes the great man. He becomes the great man. There's nobody that wouldn't say he's great. And everyone likes him because they're, he's like us. You know, he's the foot in the mouth and he, he doesn't think before he talks. I mean, just like us, exactly like us. He's the flubberty jubber. He's up and down and backwards. And it doesn't matter. It's not like he gets better towards the end. He gets up and down and up and down and up and down. And even in the epistles, Paul's like, I had to tell him in front of everybody that he was wrong. Like this was Peter. That's just up and down and up and down. And then you read his letters at the end of the Bible. And there's nothing at all like the Peter that you think that you see in the Gospels. Nothing at all. He is kind. He's thoughtful. He's loving. He's mature. Because Jesus looked at him and he said, Hey, Simon, son of John, son of Jonah, your name is now Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for rock. Petros is Greek. So Peter comes from rock in Greek. That's all it is. I'm going to call you rock. And from then on, Simon was known as Simon Peter. What, did that, what does that mean? It means that Jesus looked at him and didn't see what he was seeing. He saw what, by the grace of God, he was already. In God's economy, Peter was already who he was. Do you realize we are already seated in heavenly places with God? We are already. He sees us not as the mess that I see when I look in the mirror. He sees what he can make somebody. He looks at you as though he knows your whole story because he knows your whole story. And he will eventually give you a white wedding dress. Can you, I just, whoa, he's going to give you a white wedding dress because he did it for you. He, he looks at your life in its entirety and your life will never end. Your life is forever and in your entirety, he looks at you and gives you a name that nobody else knows but you. To the church of Revela in Revelation, he said, To him that overcomes, I will give a jar of the hidden manna and a white stone with a name written on it that no one knows but the one that I give it to. And that is a reward far more precious than all of the hills of gold that you could ever dig up, that God would say, I know the real you. Nobody else knows it because I've read the Gospels and I can't see a rock. I can't see a rock. But God's, God knows it. 
God knows that Peter is, is who that I don't even know Peter to be because God saw his whole life. So Andrew came and followed because John pointed, and Peter came and was brought to him. And then the last one we see is Philip. Philip is directly commanded by Jesus. Come follow me. Interesting. Nobody brought him. Nobody took him. Nobody witnessed to him. God immediately invaded his life and snatched him and said, you follow me. Now, Philip is one of my very favorites among the disciples because there probably is not a dumber man in the Bible. Because every time that Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing something to Jesus. And every single time that Philip is mentioned in the Gospels, not in Acts, because Acts, he's already, he's maturing just like the rest of us. In the Gospels, he's over his head every single time. So, so he's the one who said, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, you've been with me how long? And you haven't seen the Father? Are you serious? And some Greeks come and said to Philip, find Philip, we want to talk to Jesus. And Philip's like, uh, Gentile, uh, I don't know anything about that. Will he accept them? Uh, I don't know. So he takes him to Andrew. And Andrew takes him to Jesus. He goes, of course, Jesus will accept them. He accepted me. Do you see that? He's like, Philip is the one directly called by God. And you think, he's the one, the first person that Jesus picked for his team. First one. Have you ever been picked for dodgeball? I was never picked first. But the very first person that you pick is the one that you think will be the best on your team, the one that will help the team the most. I want him, I want him, I want her. Philip was first picked, and honey, he needs help. You just need to kind of take him by the hand and help him around because Jesus doesn't win by picking the valuable players. Jesus makes people valuable by being the team captain. That's how you become valuable. And so, okay, he's not the smartest, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I promise the first thing he does is he goes and gets Nathaniel, and he brings him to Jesus. Now, we'll see Nathaniel's story next week, because I told you we're not done with chapter 1. We just read to the end of chapter 1, but we'll see Nathaniel's, Nathaniel's amazing proclamation next week.